All right, folks. Welcome in to episode 23 of Rams Edge. I'm Jake Ellenbogen, and today we will be talking about Van Jefferson and uh, his, you know, being sidelined, uh, you know, already with an injury. We'll be talking about uh, Allen Robinson and the hype that we're hearing already in camp. We'll be talking about the rookies, not just Jacoby Durant, but also Darion Kendrick, who are showing out. Uh, I'll be taking calls, so if anyone wants to give their thoughts, obviously you guys are most likely closer to camp than I am. Uh, the fact that I live in upstate New York. So if you've been to camp, I more than welcome you to hop on, give your thoughts, what you're seeing, and uh, let's have some fun on a show that you know should last anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour tonight. Marv, what's up? You're on mute, just so you know. Um, but yeah, the uh, the Van Jefferson news. Kind of uh, not what you really want to see, obviously. Um, you know, the hope is that he's going to be fine, and, and I, I do tend to believe he'll be fine, but it, it's just not something you really want to see, obviously. And he did have a knee issue that, you know, he was working with last year, um, trying to get back from that. And uh, he played, you know, throughout the whole year injured. So interesting stuff. We'll see how much it affects him and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, definitely something to to monitor. And, you know, it's something that, you know, at least I'll definitely be monitoring because, you know, I think with the Rams, you got Jacob Harris, you got Tutu Atwell, you got uh, the potential of OBJ coming back. You have Allen Robinson, Cooper Cup. Um I think Tyler Higby, if it's a significant injury, I think Tyler Higby would, uh, you know, slide into a bigger role. But what say you, Marv? You know, even Sharonik, I think he could. He's, I think he's got some potential. Uh, I, he's young. All the receivers there are young, so inexperienced as well. Oh well, yeah, absolutely. I think. Uh, you know, with what Benny uh, Sco did in the Super Bowl, um, I know a lot of people are upset with that, but I would look at it on the positive side of things. You have a guy who really has never uh, had that experience. Um, he was a rookie and was just thrusted in that role. Um, so I think, you know, the good thing of it is that when you look at it, he'll be ready for something like that. You'd have to imagine, you know, and so that type of experience is kind of a big deal early on in your career like that so i'm i'm a fan of that experience i think it's something it's not something we we should just ignore um i think that's gonna bode well for him down the line i agree and uh, he can do some other things too he's he's a pretty steady guy yeah very good on special teams um you know can help you in the red zone i mean his real big deal was that he was more of a possession guy and while possession, you know, obviously he struggled with last year, I do think will be better this year. Jacob Harris becomes incredibly interesting because, you know, the similar structure to, I mean, being built like Megatron, essentially, um, is something that, you know, intrigues me. Um, the fact that he's moved to wide receiver allows him to focus on wide receiver instead of arguably the toughest position to play as a rookie, in my opinion. Um, you know, in the tight end spot because you have to be basically an offensive lineman and you have to be uh, a wide receiver. So it's not exactly, you know, the easiest thing to do. Um, but, you know, in addition to that, you also have, 
you know, Tutu Atwell, who, I mean, he didn't get a chance to play on the offense really either last year before getting hurt for the year. So he is going to get thrust into a bigger role. I think it's going to be Atwell's, uh, you know, wide receiver three role to lose if Van does have a significant injury. Um, but the hope is, you know, this specialist and get this all checked out. Uh, it, it's going to work out, and he's not going to miss any time. But if he does, I think Atwell is going to take over for him. I think Higby will be thrusted into a bigger role, which means maybe wide receiver three doesn't mean as much as it normally would. Um, but it's definitely something to consider moving forward. I'm not, you know, I, I'm really pulling for Atwell. It's just that we have to see it happen. And uh, I'm not sure. I think McVay, when he drafted him, I think he was looking at a little uh, Derek, um, uh, the kid that just got traded to Miami. Oh, Tyree Hill? Yeah, yeah, Tyree Hill, sorry. Yeah, I think he's looking for that, that, that real quick, fast, darting type receiver. And uh, I think he was. I think he sees that net well. I hope he's right. I yeah. I mean, I think I see. I, I see more Tyree Kill in him than I do in Tavon Austin. Um, oh, I think he's a better totally receiver. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of people that want to compare him to Tavon, but they're just not the same receiver. Tavon was a very good overall explosive player. Um, but Tutu Atwell was a more defined route runner and better at using his hands Much to better. frame the ball, you know, bring down the ball instead of really just having it, you know, kind of smothered in between his, his uh, you know, his <laughs> chest. So I know, <laughs> you know, that's so true. I, I feel like that's a, that's a key element there. And it's something that I'm definitely um, excited about with, with Tutu Atwell. You know, he's not the stereotypical five, nine wide receiver that, you know, as a body catcher. I mean, this guy typically wants to, you know, use his hands, frame the ball, and, and catch it, soft hands. So that's something you don't normally see on 5'9", guys like that, speedy guys, but um, it's something they definitely have. And, you know, I'll just say uh, the the raving reports I'm hearing, I'm obviously not at camp. I'm in upstate New York. But the reports that I'm seeing, hearing, whatever, about Allen Robinson – uh, is leading me to believe that I might be on the right track uh, this year with what I believe Allen Robinson is going to do, leading the league in receiving. So I, I understand that sounds crazy at times, but especially coming off a really down year. But uh, it just seems to me like they didn't get Allen Robinson just to you know figure it out. They had a plan before they got Robinson, and he is part of. He's a huge part of that plan. Totally agree. He's hungry, too. Yeah, I mean, after last year, uh, who could blame him? You know, playing for the Bears. And, I mean, I'm not going to just crap all over the Bears, but I I think they have a chance to be the worst team in the league this year. I'm just going to be real. And uh, for him to get away from that environment, get away from Matt Nagy, albeit he's gone, but get away from him, uh, get to finally having, you know, a top quarterback, um, you know, it's definitely got to be uplifting for him. And then you have the rookies um, on the other side of the ball. You have Darion Kendrick and you have, you know, Jacoby Durant, who 
are starting to step up apparently in, in, in you know, practices and in training camp. And I, I think, you know, I don't want to put way too much stock into, uh, you know, training camp. I understand it's, you know, sometimes it's pads, sometimes it's shorts, they alternate. They don't want to overdo it. But I do like what I saw out of a, a few of the um, the clips I saw with uh, Dakobe Durant. And uh, I will say, you know, Darion Kendrick, if he's already playing up to, to par, like, at that level, um, you know, that that's a big deal as a sixth-round pick. And, you know, we know, if we know anything from the Rams, we know it doesn't matter when you're drafted. It doesn't matter how you're, you know, acquired. Uh, they give everyone an opportunity to really, you know, make a name for themselves and, you know, carve out a role. I mean, we, we've seen that with Nick Scott and Jordan Fuller in the back end in the secondary. There's no reason to suspect that Darion Kendrick can not only make the roster, but, you know, maybe have a impact, uh, you know, on the defense and the roster. I think they could really push long. They could. And I think they, when they went out and they got those guys in the draft, I don't think it was their lack of, confidence in long so to speak i think what it was was more so you know long is going to be a free agent and so at the very least that is almost it's depth but at the very least it's also leverage uh in any negotiation but if it's not that, then it's certainly depth. It's certainly preparing for the future. But if they do plan on bringing back David Long, um, they do have some leverage to kind of say, hey, look, we want you back. You know, potentially we're coming off a second, you know, back-to-back Super Bowl win with you. But we do have Dakobe. We do have Darion. You know, we will not go out of our comfort zone to pay you. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of kind of the vibe I got. I mean, I'm sure it's kind of the same thing with Daryl Henderson, too. When they go out and get Kyron Williams, I'm sure that was more so, you know, potential leverage in case they they do want to bring him back and they feel like they might have an opportunity. Um, But on top of it, depth and, uh, you know, the long-term vision where you want to move on if, if, you know, he ends up being too much, essentially. But let's face it. I mean, they're not bringing either of those guys back. It's just not part of their team build strategy. And if the guy balls out and is amazing, then he's going to command too much money. Like the Rams, you know, their team build strategy is very clear. It's, it's let these guys go to free agency. And, uh, most, most rookie guy, rookie guy, guys coming off of rookie deals go to free agency, get the comp pick and, um, rinse and repeat. And, uh, you're exactly right. That's why they went and drafted all those second, all those guys in the secondary. Very rare, very yeah. selective, very selective with who they resigned, and it's usually offensive linemen because they value continuity at that position more than they do the other positions. Yeah, I agree. I think the only way Daryl would be back is if it he kind of has the same market as Sony did, because Sony wasn't a fit for their offense. Sony was a fit for the offense that they felt they had to run not having Cam Akers and having the injuries they had. But that's not typically what they want to run. They don't want to have to go 12 personnel, even 13 personnel. They don't want to have to go more power uh, running game. And so that's why, even though Sony was only a million, you know, he, he didn't cost much at all, the Rams passed on him. It's why the Rams passed on uh, C.J. Anderson, um, you know, back when they could have gotten him again. 
I do think Henderson fits them more, and if that is his market, I think he'd be back. But you know, if if Henderson's going to go for five, six, seven million, I can't see a scenario where the Rams are paying. I, I really don't see a scenario where the Rams are paying a running back money like that ever again. Um, I talked about on Downtown Rams. Look, when they made that signing, uh, you know, of Todd Gurley. They basically, you know, and albeit it it wasn't the end of the world, they've moved on. But when he got hurt, that ended any chance of them being a player for a Kareem Hunt, going out and trading for Saquon Barkley. I don't think they want anything to do with that ever again. I really feel like they kind of put all their eggs in the proverbial uh, Todd Gurley basket. And so, like, Cam Akers, I know a lot of fans are, you know, rushing to get his jersey, his number three jersey. He's not going to be around after his rookie deal. I, I think that they are going to be a team that consistently does this, and they're not going to have, you know, gone are the days where, you know, this organization has some of the best running backs to ever play the sport. It, gone are the days where you have a Marshall Falk, you have a Steven Jackson, Dickerson. Um, now... What I will say is you could still have that talent. You could still find that talent in the draft. I just don't think they're going to view that as an item to, you know, need essentially. Uh, you know, it's not just having a star running back nowadays. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the Super Bowl. And I think even more so they proved it, you know, this past year running below two yards a carry and still winning the Super Bowl. So. It's not just the Rams. It's the. It's not just the Rams. It's the. You know that that position is getting devalued throughout the NFL, as is. Oh yeah. The so these are positions that are yeah taking a hit, um, league wide. And uh, you know you have your your few superstars um, at the very very top, um, and uh, but after that it's um, you know guys aren't getting paid as much and they're they're just getting used up a lot more for some reason in their rookie deals. Look at the yeah. Niners. Look at the Niners. They've gone through running backs like crazy. They they just can't hold up. Uh, they take they get hit on just about every other play. Yeah, it's it's a demanding position, and that's what honestly makes Frank Gore so impressive. Um, sure because does. <laughs> he was able to stay around for so long. And while I don't think he's as good as the stats would indicate he is, because the longevity he played at, I think you do have to give him his props. Um, I mean, there's something yeah. that just doesn't sit right with me that he would get in over Steven Jackson, even though the, the stats show it's not even close. I just feel like Steven Jackson was the better runner, but I mean, just kind of going to your point, I mean, yeah, it's such a demanding position. You just don't see guys do what, what Gore did. You don't see guys last normally. Normally 30's it. And you know, in a way, it's it's almost like the only way to really compare it, um, I, I guess, like, say in baseball, for instance, it's like being a catcher. You know, your knees yeah. give out. You don't have the same, like, you know, obviously in baseball you can be a DH. Uh, but your knees do give out over time and catchers can't, you know, play forever. It, it's incredibly demanding position. Um, you're on your knees the whole game, essentially, in a crouch. Uh, and then you look at the, you know, the running backs, it's like, you're getting hit 
every single down essentially. So it, that's, I think the, the closest thing I could compare it to, you know, right off the rip, um, you know, for sports wise, but it's just really hard because, you know, when it comes to the running back position, if you don't have a, you know, a Jonathan Taylor, a Derek Henry, um, then, you know, really you're probably among the rest of the league in which you're going to have, uh, you know, a running back by committee approach. So what do you think the latest is, Jake, with uh, with um, Van and his injury? I'm a little concerned uh, because the Rams feel they, – they look concerned. You know, this, yeah, they do this is concerned. not – They sound concerned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're not – it, It's Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, a lot of the people that listen to, like, our podcast and whatnot, and this right here and, you know, on YouTube – they're asking me like, Jake, should I be concerned? Because I'm just gonna follow whatever you say. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I think you should. Uh, here's why, okay? Jefferson had this injury the whole half of the end of last year. So down the stretch, he was playing with this. Um, he used the two weeks before the Super Bowl to be able to play in the Super Bowl, but he really was not healthy. Um, we were so focused on that you know, the core muscle or whatever injury. I know it was a core muscle, soft tissue injury of Daryl Henderson. Um, when in reality, you know, that wasn't anywhere near as bad as what, you know, this could end up being for Van Jefferson. I don't want to speculate too much, but the fact that this team had him practicing and he's really been, he really just hasn't been healthy until midway point of last year. That is concerning to me. Um, it's concerning to me the way, you know, Sean McVay was talking about, you know, hoping they'll get Odell back. Um, not because I think they won't get Odell back, but I could, I, you know, when you listen to a coach talk, yeah. there's coach speak, and you can hear when they do a good job, you can't hear it. But sometimes they slip up, and I feel like in that moment, Sean McVay, the way he was talking about getting Odell back, yeah, I like thought the was, same thing. <laughs> yeah, it sounded more necessary, more needed than, you know, he was talking about maybe a couple weeks ago. So what I imagine is that this is kind of along the lines, not the same thing, but his knee could be along the lines of um, Terrell Lewis. And now Lewis had ACL tears and all that, so I understand it's not that. But what people don't understand is Lewis, the Rams – underestimated how bad that was that got worse um so did todd todd Gurley. this is concerning because this is kind of you can just tell they were not ready for this they did not plan for this and i wouldn't be surprised if odell signed sooner than later not saying he'll come back any sooner but just to make sure that okay if anything does go wrong we have Odell signed. This this might ramp that up. Um, I've I've gone on record saying you know we're not going to hear anything about Odell until like September because there's no need for him to sign right away. There's no need for the Rams to sign him right away. The Rams would have a pretty big need if this Van injury is significant because, like I said, while Tyler Higby will take over a bigger role and the wide receiver three won't mean as much, 
everything they're trying to do is really being built around having those top three guys and then having everybody else trickle in. So if you don't have Van Jefferson, now you're thrusting Tutu Atwell, who's not the same body type. Uh, he, you know, he's not the same type of receiver at all. Not the same height. Uh, not the same skill set. Um, you know, not the same experience. And you're trotting him out there in that position, so you're less confident in him. You're more confident going with Higby, but you can't use Higby because that changes your personnel entirely. So you, you know, that's the thing. So this would create a little bit of a stir. And I'm sure Sean McVay, ever, after last year, is trying to avoid that because they had so many great things they wanted to do with Cam Akers. They lose him. They had so many great things they wanted to do with Robert Woods. They lose him. They had so many great things they wanted to do with Deshaun Jackson, and he just decides he doesn't want in anymore. So it it's one of those things where I'm sure Sean McVay in the back of his mind is like, oh, no, here we go again. And he doesn't know who he's got for a replacement, really. He doesn't know if Shororic or Harris – Atwell really can handle it yet. And that's got to worry him. That's the thing. I'm not down it's on those hard guys, know. they have zero experience. I mean, Harris yeah, is just I mean, learning how to play football, for God's sakes, when you really yeah. think about it. It's a- well, you know a lot of fans are going to be like, oh, Jacob Harris can slide right in there. Or <laughs> Atwell can slide. But here's the thing. Like you said, those guys don't have any experience playing regular season games on the offense. Only Skoranek does. And he, he didn't do a lot. He was at uh, uh, Northwestern, and then he transferred his last year just to catch some passes at Notre Dame. I mean, he really doesn't have – Yeah. He's never been in a big game offense as a receiver. So I kind of like the guy, but, uh, you know, wow, starting, starting for the Rams, I don't know. Yeah, and I'm sure that is literally the opposite of what – most fans would want. I mean, most fans want him off the roster, so yeah. <laughs> I don't think that they would. I like don't that. see it that way. I don't. I see some potential in that kid, but and I don't think he's ready to be the star. I think most fans don't want him off the team. I think they want him for the most part to be a a very spot backup receiver, but mostly focused on special teams. Yeah, right now that's what they. I agree with that too. But I mean, he's if you don't have Jefferson. <laughs> You could still win games without Jefferson, but it does create, like I said, it does create a really big stir, and it changes the dynamic of your offense. I, I would, you I would can't, say that I would obviously never, I would want Jefferson there for sure, but it does create a, a, an opportunity that I think there may be more upside with Atwell um, if you know he is what you know, he appears to be or what we want him to be. Let's put it that way, optimistically. Um, I think he has more upside than Jefferson um, to stretch the field, um, and uh, which is really not what Cup or um, Robinson are going to do. And uh, I just think he brings a different dimension of speed to the team. And um, so, like I would not, if Jefferson were healthy, I wouldn't say, "Oh, I want Atwell to start." But if Jefferson's not there, we uh, we could see. Um, you know, something something better or, you know, certainly different or another dimension. Well, what, yeah, and I agree with you, but one thing that would concern me about that is now you have to be cautious about preseason because you have to walk on eggshells, essentially. On one hand, I want to get 2-2 going. I want to get Jacob Harris going. I want to get Ben Skoranek going. On the other, it's like, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> if any of them get hurt, all of a sudden <laughs> our awesome wide receiver group, our right wide receiver group that's very, you know, loaded, has plenty of unproven depth essentially, uh, but has a lot of potential, all of a sudden now you're down to what? Four guys? It's like three maybe. I mean, you got to be careful. And, and I do think that that is, that is definitely something – that is a concern of mine um, is that now all of a sudden Sean McVay has to take a more conservative approach in using these guys in preseason because now they have to have a, a you know, decent sized role in the regular season. I am a big fan of Atwell. So, I mean, my projections for him would astronomically change if he became the number three, because I think he can handle that. My thing with Van though, is that I think he's getting underrated because of who's around him. This is a guy that I've been told people within the organization see as the number one guy when it's all said and done. He's going to take over for Cooper Cup and for Allen Robinson. Robinson's only signed to a three-year deal. This is somebody that like definitely is expected to be the guy they pay uh, to go with Cup in the end of Cup's years in the NFL. Um, now keep in mind, Cup just signed a big deal, but at the same time, you know, he'll be around what, like, so right now, let's say he's 29, 28 years old. I mean, I can't imagine he's playing that much past 33, um, 34. So, you know, right now, I mean, Van would be looking at getting a big deal at age 27, 20, 28. And so I think, I think Van is, is definitely, there's a lot of confidence in him, but this is also a league that's becoming a four wide receiver league. I mean, just look at the Bucks. The Bucks didn't stay at just, and I mean, regardless of how I feel about Julio Jones being over the hill, being injury prone, all that does not really matter in this discussion because they went out and they got Julio Jones to go with Russell Gage, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin. Teams are going more towards that four deep wide receiver room and even five deep uh, than just having three guys. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned Brandon Powell or, you know, other guys out there that are still on this roster. Lance McCutcheon has turned a few heads. But Brandon Powell, I don't know. That's an interesting um, could could get some reps. Yeah, I mean, you might have to, you know. Um, Jacob Harris is really the the giant puzzle piece, I think, because if they figure him out at wide receiver, uh, like if that that's the one guy. As much as I love yeah. Atwell, as much as the confidence I have in him, if Jacob Harris reaches his potential, and they have him on a roster with Cup and you know Allen Robinson and Van, I mean. You know, it's going to be crazy. I mean, that's going to be absolutely insane. Harris, Harris's potential is exciting. You know, you can you can fantasize about how good he could be, but uh, it's very you know you're going to have to play him. I mean, he needs to play. He needs to be in all these practice games and uh, getting the reps. Yeah. I mean, he, he's very exciting because you have that Calvin Johnson-esque, you know, athleticism. Um, 
but he's just he's not Calvin Johnson because Calvin Johnson coming out of Georgia Tech knew how to block. He wasn't raw. He was pretty much as can't miss as can be at wide receiver. Um, but when it comes to Jacob Harris, he's very raw, and in in a sense, it allows the Rams to teach him, you know, build his mechanics. And his overall play style from the ground up, how they want him to be. Like, that's their guy. Um, that's an exciting thing to me. Oh, he's 6'5". He can run what? What did he run? 4'4"? Four, four? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> yeah. He, he ran a 4'3". Like, his Calvin Johnson ran a 4'3'5". He ran, like, a 4'3'8". So, yeah, I mean. His athletic oh. score was off the charts. You know, yeah. I forget that rating he, system they have. Yeah, he he's he's ridiculous. I mean, at, athlete wise, he's ridiculous. Um, now he had a lot of experience at UCF. Not a lot of experience, but he had some experience catching, you know, those end zone fades and being utilized. Like, he, and, and he does play above the rim, um, which is something you like to see. That's something I I continue to bring up about Allen Robinson. Why? He just adds so much to the table. But, you know, I do think, like, if you had both him and Jacob Harris on the outside, you had Cup, Van Jefferson, Tutu Atwell, um, you know, and so forth, just kind of, you know, rotating, uh, you know, in the slot. I mean, obviously you wouldn't have Cup rotate, but Cup would come out and then would go out wide and stuff like that. If it got to the point where you had giant, like, six five, six three guys on the outside, and then you had Cup in the the slot. Um, if if Jacob Harris at that point is like playing up to his level of potential, I just don't see with you know what Stafford has shown you um, and how he really hasn't lost a step since coming to the Rams. Uh, quite the opposite; he's only gotten better. I think um, with that type of stat, I just don't see how you stop an offense like that. I just don't. Hey, sorry, Jake. You know I, keep hitting the, uh, I keep hitting the red thing because that's what it is on mute on other platforms. So I apologize. I'm, I'm all over the place. But, yeah. Now, in terms of um, I.J. Harris, and, you know, it's interesting. People talk about him at tight end. But he really – he only weighs like 215, 220, even for how tall he is. Like he's a pretty slender guy. And he yeah. certainly doesn't have the weight of a tight end. So – I never really even understood this tight end talk, and McVeigh um, you know, maybe a, a lower college level, but certainly not in the NFL. So those guys are, I think, Blanton is two forty, two forty five, and um, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's just he's just way too light for a tight end in the NFL. So he's clearly a wide receiver. Blanton's two sixty two. Yeah, he's two pounds. He's a big man. Yeah, maybe uh, up Bryce and Hopkins. Blanton. Maybe he's two forty-five or something like that. Yeah, but right. yeah, but anyway, at two twenty, you're not playing tight end in the NFL. No, so. no, I, I, you know, I, I think moving him to wide receiver and focusing permanently on wide receiver is the best thing you can do because when you have these, you know, raw you know, crazy traits type guys. I think the biggest mistake these teams make is trying to make them tight ends. Um, because you look at like, for instance, Fendi Onabone, 
uh, who you know the Rams had years ago. That guy was an athletic freak out of Houston. And I think the biggest issue from what I've read about over the years is that he did not have the football IQ. And now I do think you need the football IQ, but there are ways to get past that because it's not like he's not intelligent at all. It just means like it it took him longer, like Tavon. Um, But the problem is tight end position as a rookie, but not just as a rookie, as a very raw rookie, as a guy that has barely played the position, tight end position is the hardest position. And I feel like isolating a guy like that at wide receiver first, similar to Darren Waller, is actually the way to go. Because if if you then want him to add pounds, I think it's easier once you've learned the wide receiver spot to come over to the offensive line spot, add pounds, and get coached up in that way. Because you've got to have at least one of those tools. You can't just move to tight end and be like, yeah, you know what? Just just do this. Like I think it's too much pressure on a raw talent like Jacob Harris. Jake, do you know anything about Landon Akers or Warren Jackson? Warren Jackson uh, played for Colorado State. I, I think he's the six four receiver, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's, he's six, six, six six. Oh, he's six six. Okay. Um, yeah, I. Two. You know, he had some good stuff on tape. I I, I didn't have. I don't think I had a draftable grade on it, but um, which I mean, he went undrafted, but he he put up some stuff, you know, in the red zone. You know, could go up high point the football. To me, he's a developmental guy. Um, yeah. And then Landon Acres really came on strong, I think, in the preseason. You see his ability after the catch. Um, you know, not afraid to take the big hit over the middle, hang on to the football. You know, I like his toughness. Um, him and Koski, I think, are very similar. I'd probably go with Landon Akers over Koski, but, you know, they're both pretty solid, um, you know, developmental guys, and we'll probably be on the practice squad. But, yeah, I mean, that those are like – that's like my unofficial scouting report on those two. I think if if anyone was going to make the team, um, I think Landon Akers is the best of those three that I mentioned. Okay. McCutcheon's probably better than, than uh, all of those, no. I, I think McCutcheon probably has the highest ceiling. Yeah, that's what I think, too. McCutcheon of all the UDFAs at that position group. Yeah, and make no mistake about it. The Rams, when they went out and got McCutcheon, they were going out and getting a guy that would compete with those guys and a guy that they felt would be enough so they didn't have to just load their 90-man roster with wide receivers. They feel really good about their wide receiver room. They might have to keep eight wide receivers because of uh, Powell. Um, you know, so, you know, they, they feel really good. And, you know, if a guy like, you know, McCutcheon, you know, he gets an opportunity, I think he would make the most of it. Um, I mean, really what it comes down to is, you know, he plays in Montana state and, you know, I think that's one of the main reasons he fell. I, I had a sixth round grade on the guy, so I thought he was a draftable prospect. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, looking at Koski, Cal Poly, I remember I watched him before he got picked up by the Rams. Um, undrafted prospect uh, is what I greeted him at. Uh, Landon Akers undrafted, Warren Jackson 
undrafted, but one of the higher undrafted ones. But yeah, McCutcheon, I had a six round grade on. I think he is very intriguing. Um, he's somebody I wouldn't be surprised if he blows up in preseason. He has a giant opportunity. Who's that? Yeah, Jackson? Jackson? Your point is that's a big, that's a draw for the Rams that they, all, anybody who comes here as EGFA knows they're going to get snaps in the preseason, whereas because they just don't play any of their starters at all. So that's a, um, another one of their little, uh, side secret sauces that they use to attract people. Pretty interesting. That whole team build strategy all has these little nooks and crannies of benefits. Yes, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, another thing I'll add is they have good quarterbacks. I mean, you're telling me Wolford and Perkins in the, you know, the, uh, the preseason with, uh, Luis Perez. I mean, all those guys can get the ball to you. So you don't have to worry about anything like where, you know, it's like Brandon Allen and, uh, I forget the other guy, but they, they've had Dylan Thompson, I think it was. They've had guys in the past that have kind of hurt. Well, Sean Mannion definitely is a good example. Um, I remember the the first game back at the Coliseum preseason game against the Cowboys. Mannion and Spruce had a really good connection. But I felt like Mannion after that season was just absolutely useless. One, you know, Charlie checked down, one read, uh, quarterback. And uh, I think he really held back, you know, opportunities of the other, you know, and obviously we know like these guys get opportunities and you know the making the 53 man roster is more about winning in you know in practice and in in front of the coaches uh rather than just games but you have to sit there and wonder how much a guy like Mannion or guys that just simply underthrew the receivers or you know wouldn't get it to them wouldn't take multiple reads downfield you have to wonder how much that affected their overall development. Um, and on top of that, you know, just their, their, I guess, popularity and their reputation around the league. Because if you're not doing anything in preseason, you know, you're not doing anything. That's the only time to put tape out there. So you have to wonder how many guys that's really, that's hurt. Yeah, another thing about the receivers, the Rams like their uh, receivers big. And I think one of the reasons for that is that they can contribute on special teams uh, and provide that depth. So they do tend to carry more wide receivers than most teams and then really utilize them at, on special teams. You look at Warren Jackson and, and Lance McCutcheon, um, I think is six two six three. Um, obviously, Jacob Harris. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of big guys and um, you know Skronik and so forth that are. Uh, poised to make an uh, impact on special teams for them. Yeah. Who do you think will line up as our receivers in our first practice game? Uh, preseason? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> this is a good question because we were just talking. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I mean, it has to be Saronic and, and Harris and Atwell, doesn't it? I mean. Yeah, I, I, I would – say that's probably the safe option um if van's injury is significant and we don't know but if if it ends up being a significant thing then you probably well, ben wouldn't say, play hey, anyways. You, ben wouldn't be playing 
Van well, wouldn't be playing. I think he might. I think in the first three games, be higher on the depth chart. I think. I'm just talking about the preseason. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I think you think they would have played Van Jefferson in the in the preseason. No, no, no. I'm saying if Van had a significant, like the injury was significant, he's going to miss, say, the first four games of the yes. year or whatever. Uh, I don't think Atwell would play in the preseason. I don't oh, think Jacob Harris would play in the okay. Maybe Jacob Harris would, but Atwell would not, I don't think. I think you have to play Harris. Harris has to play. <laughs> I, mean, he Atwell, has- I think a few snaps, Jake. I don't think just, you know, but he might come out. Might not get a lot of reps, but they got to give him something. Like he's never. Um, well, how that's many what I mean. Did, how many that... reps did he have at wide receiver last year? I'm not sure. He, was he, hurt. he got hurt too. Yeah, I mean, well, it was a few games in, but um, I'm not sure how many reps he had at wide receiver. It wasn't very many. At well, yeah. Well, Atwell didn't get uh, many either. The regular season or the preseason? Regular season. Did he have any? I don't think he logged any snaps on the offense. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can see him being utilized for like a quarter, but like I don't – if, if you know, Van had a serious injury, I think Atwell's next on deck. And so for that reason, I think they would just do the quick like pull him after the first quarter deal. Uh, if, you know, Van is okay and they're just being cautious, then – I mean, Atwell, there's no reason to assume Atwell wouldn't play at least a half of every preseason game. Um, and I think at that point, your starting receivers would be Atwell, Skoranek, and, and Jacob Harris. Your wider, uh, your tight end would be either Blanton or Hopkins, um, you know, or the, you know they got uh, Pettigrew, who I really like. Uh, they also have Roger Carter. Um, you know, so that there are some guys there, there's some depth there, but I mean, I don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. Are they going to make Wolford <laughs> compete with Perkins? I mean, I, I don't know. Well, it's not going to be Lewis Perez. Perez will probably play the fourth. That's entirely to save, uh, you know, save arms essentially. Cause if Perkins intrigues if, me. Yeah, I, I think like the bigger Perkins. question is who lines up in the um, in the preseason practice before the Cincinnati game when they uh, go out to Cincinnati and scrimmage with those guys in a controlled scrimmage. And um, they go, you know, both sides of the ball, offense, defense, defense, offense, uh, with Zach Taylor's crew before the Cincinnati preseason game. And that's already scheduled. So that's going to be more telling in terms of who – they're uh, viewing as the starter. That's that's where they'll line up their their A team. That seems brutal to do that to the yeah. Cincinnati fans. Like, yeah, we just be in the Super Bowl now. You're going to see us again. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I know what you're saying, but um, I, I think they at, at this point, I don't think it's as much of a hard knocks as it is uh, than it is a show of respect. You know, like oh. You know, we're one of the elite teams now. We're practicing with another elite team. And I feel like they're, I think, I guess my point is I feel like they're after, they're more after respect at this point after what they've been through, <laughs> their franchise has been through. I mean, obviously <laughs> they'd, love a, a, uh, they'd love a Super Bowl, but um, at this point, they're just looking for like sustained respect and, and sustained success. 
That is definitely fair. I, um, I'm definitely looking forward to, to seeing that. I mean, here's the thing though. Um, and what's up, Ricky? I just saw you join. Uh, welcome to the show. Um, here's the thing though, guys. I, I remember last year distinctively. All right. When the, the Rams were, uh, you know, they, they were doing their scrimmage with, I think it was the Cowboys and, there was a lot of press about how the Cowboys were were looking much better than the Rams, and I thought that was that was kind of funny uh, because that didn't translate to the twenty twenty one twenty twenty two season. So, you know, I think a lot of that came down to the fact the Rams had to install their offense with Stafford. Um, this year, it's already installed, and they're adding on. This is when a good offense becomes a great offense. A great offense becomes an elite offense. And I think, you know, the Rams are already kind of exhibiting that. Obviously I saw Stafford through a couple interceptions. He threw one to Kobe Durant um, that everyone was talking about, but that, like that's going to happen. I don't, I don't, it really gets kind of weird when people, you know, judge a quarterback entirely off picks in practice and in training camp. I mean, obviously you don't want your quarterback throwing a ton, um, I mean, Goff had a couple of days where I, you know, I remember getting reports he threw like tons. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it, it's just practice and training camp, you know. It, and I think that's it's a good reminder because last year I remember everyone made a big deal when the Cowboys, um, you know, essentially won uh, the scrimmage over the Rams. Yeah, and don't forget. In addition to a new offense, um, given the arrival of Stafford, it was also uh, getting used to the Raheem Morris version of the Brandon Staley defense, which, you know, he's going to obviously put his own stamp on it and, and want to get a few things installed there, too, last year. And so they really had essentially a new offense and new defense that they were testing out for the first time against the Cowboys for all practical purposes. And um, this year it's the opposite, right? We have Stafford's second year, Raheem Morris' second year. Everybody, uh, everybody comfortable with what Raheem, Raheem's version of that, of that too high shell. And uh, so, yeah, completely different story. You're right there. I mean, you know, I think that's, it's easy to forget about those little things, but you know, I, I never really, I mean, you guys know, and and you can tell based on how I was saying it, I never really put too much stock into the Cowboys' air quotes needed winning (laughs) a a scrimmage. I mean, um, you know, obviously you don't love to see that, but it it really didn't translate to the regular season for the Cowboys. I mean, they were a good team, but they weren't the Rams. And, you know, I just think, you know, it kind of is also a reminder that as good as the Rams start off the beginning of the year, they did have that game, what was it, week four against Arizona where it was kind of a, a kick in the face, a kind of reminder like, hey, you know, you still you still have a long way to go. You know, the the everyone was so hyped about the Buccaneers game and obviously rightfully so to beat Brady like that, to to beat the defending Super Bowl champions in that manner. Um was great, but it was also a reminder, you know, with the Cardinals game and then the three game losing streak that the thing that makes the NFL so great is that even though you only play 17 games now in a season and, you know, 
in total you only play like 21 games. The thing that makes the season so great is that, I mean, you can have spurts where you're terrible. We've seen teams, like I believe the the Falcons one year, they went like 0-6 or 0-7, and they ended up making the playoffs. Um, something like that. You know, I just think it's one of those sports where like in baseball, it's really hard to come back when you're down, you know, cause you got to win a bunch of games. Um, you know, it's just, it's hard to come back in any sport really, but football, it, it just feels really hard, really difficult. And it's just a reminder that, you know, you may be seven and zero to start the year, but you know, you, my friend, you have 10 more games. <laughs> it, it, it's pretty crazy and it you know like I said it, it's just it's a constant reminder and, and last year I mean it was not easy for the Rams they didn't make it look easy uh at times they did you know I think when we watched the Bears game we're like wow this may be the best team in the league um but at the same time remember how they started off the Bears game they gave up like a 50 yard run uh to to um you know David Montgomery so you know I just think that they're you know, there's a lot to, to take away from it, but you know, again, it, the season is going to tell its own story and, uh, you never know until, I mean, the Lombardi trophy is being hoisted up. I think another question mark is really their running game and, uh, not, I, I like their, their running backs, but boy, there was nothing there in the last few games of the season for the Rams. Yeah, it was tough in the Super Bowl. Um, But, you know, at the same time, I do think they're going to be more pass happy. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And and I wouldn't be opposed to them running the ball. But I feel like the Rams are going to be that offense. Sean McVay has this offense. They're fresh off a Super Bowl win. And he's just going to be like, hey, stop us. Can you stop us? No. All right, we're going to keep doing this. Because that's at one point or another, I mean, when you're fully healthy and you likely have OBJ, Van Jefferson to go with Allen Robinson, Cooper Cup, you know, Tyler Higby, the duo of running backs you have, the offensive line you have, the defense, who's beating you? Who's well, that, stopping you? That team's made to throw the ball, the one with all those receivers. That's the thing. So I think they're going to be more pass heavy. Um, I kind of liken it to a 60-40, maybe even a 61-39, you know, pass to run percentage. Um, I mean, I think the maximum it could be a 65-35, but I'm not saying that's what it will be. And they don't have a Todd Gurley in his prime either. No, they don't. And, they and I don't. do think that, that factors into it. Yeah. They built that offense, the first offense around Gurley. Exactly. I mean, it, you know, I don't think people realize how easy Goff's life was with Todd yeah, Gurley. I agree. <laughs> yeah, Gurley I was mean, special. He really was. Yeah, yeah it'll be interesting to see if they include, get the uh, the running backs going not only in the run game, but also in the passing game, because they were last in the NFL by far in terms of the uh, percentage of receptions, overall receptions thrown to um, 
or caught by uh, running backs last year and wasn't even close. So, um, yeah, definitely need to get the running backs going in both phases of the ball. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, and when you have, like, I was just looking at it the other day. I mean, Cam Akers has like an 80-something, 80, 80, I want to say 88% catch rate. Might be a little high. It might be 82. But anyway, he, he's got a pretty high catch rate, uh, catch percentage. And, you know, he, he's a really good receiver. Daryl Henderson is too. They don't win the Super Bowl without his four receptions for over 40 yards. Um, you know, I, I think that there's too much there uh, between those two and then Kyron Williams, who I'm like really hoping we, we get to see in the preseason because yeah. Kyron Williams can can really rock a team's world, essentially, you know, if he gets an opportunity. Um, it's just, you know, with the broken foot, they're hoping they'll get him back by preseason, but what does that mean? You know, is that the last game of preseason? Is that, yeah, he'll play a quarter? If, like, what does that mean? And I think, you know, we'll find that out over time, but would really be upsetting if, if both he and Quentin Lake don't get a chance to play in preseason because of their injuries. Yeah, I was hoping that running back would get more chance. He that bro- he broke his foot, right? He did. They so say he's. I think I just read that he's. Uh, you know, he's not in a cast or anything. He's doing sprints. So. Yeah, I mean, he should be back, but again, there's no way to know until we know. You know, and uh, I was bummed for Xavier Jones. I, I really like him, and mm-hmm. the running backs coach recruited him. Uh, back when he was at SMU, Rashad samples. Um, so that that that's a bummer. Uh, interested to see Trey Regis. Uh, would not rule him out making the roster. He, he's an intriguing option. I was surprised they went out and got him. Um, you know he he could he could push Jake Funk. He you know I, I think AJ Rose could as well. So um, you know those are definitely two guys that I look at and like. I mean, I know there's a lot of Rams fans out there that love Jake Funk, um, but at the end of the day, this guy has two ACL tears in his career, and I, I mean, you know, he he's not a guarantee. He was a seventh-round pick. He's right. not a guarantee to make the roster. Um, Trey Regis was on the actual Raiders last year. He he made the, the team. Um, he was waived before, you know, during the cut day, but he eventually got on to the team and, uh, he did play a little bit, um, you know, last year. I mean, he didn't play a ton, but he did get some opportunity, uh, especially on special teams and, uh, in the passing game, you know, he's 5'10", 214, uh, out of Louisiana, Lafayette. I guess they're calling it just Louisiana now. <laughs> I don't know why, but, uh, you know. I, I think they just picked him was... up. Did they just pick him up, Jake? They did. Yeah, they just okay. got him. Uh, actually, right when they put Xavier Jones on the uh, the IR, they they picked him up. I think that was Roger Carter, wasn't that the guy from Georgia State that they got when they um, dropped? Uh, isn't that who they picked up, Jake? The they kid. had Roger Carter. Uh, they got him early on. You sure? I think they just. I thought they. I thought they just got him. No, they just. They just got uh, Trey Regis, the running back, fullback. All right. 
Yeah, he was he was pretty consistent at Louisiana Lafayette. Um, you know, doesn't fumble. Uh, I had a seventh round grade on him, so you know, I actually had a a draftable grade on him. Um, but what what I liked about him is that the guy scored touchdowns. He found the end zone. Um, has good vision, good you know balance through contact. Uh, you know, he had 43 touchdowns in 49 career games at uh, Louisiana Lafayette. So he found the end zone. Obviously, that doesn't mean really a ton in the NFL, um, you know, but definitely somebody that in preseason wouldn't be surprised. A team that typically just finds these guys like Malcolm Browns um, wouldn't be surprised if, if he forced his way on the roster and, and forced Jay Funk off it. Um, now. What I will say is he's not at all fast. Uh, that was the big concern about him. That's why he was a seventh-round prospect for me instead of a fifth-rounder. I had definite questions about his speed, um, which to me relegates him to being a career backup, a career third-string guy, um, because he ran you know, a four-six-eight. So he, he's not fast. But he still is hard to bring down. Um, and he's got good ball security, me happy essentially, because, you know, I want a guy that if I'm going to give you the rock and we're, you know, Super Bowl, you know, defending team, I mean, those reps are, every rep is more valuable than the next. And so I I can't just, if I'm ever giving you the ball, I need to know you're not going to just drop it. So that's my unofficial uh, scouting report on Trey Regis. Um, and then A.J. Rose was another guy they added, I believe. Yeah, he's there. Yeah. Um, I don't know a ton about him, I'll be honest with you. But I know that there are some people that are very high on him. He ran a four four two, so a lot faster um and if i'm not mistaken he has familiarity with liam cohen so it's from kentucky that yeah that might that might have been why yep that that had to have been why yeah the the uh offense coordinators probably brought him along yeah, Asim Rose Jr. He played for, uh, I forget the name of the guy who's now the head of the offense for the Rams. I think he was at Kentucky. Liam, Liam Cohen. Yeah. He probably brought Rose. He probably likes Rose. Hey, did you see Hardy do that backflip and almost land on Burgess's leg? Yeah. I did not. <laughs> yeah. God. You got to get that. I'll, uh, I don't know, I'll DM it to you or something, Jake. But, yeah, he they're coming out for practice, and he, he does a backflip, like a standing backflip. This is a huge defensive end. These guys are so athletic now. But Burgess is running out next to him, and he literally almost landed on Burgess's leg. And Burgess looks back at him, giving him the sideways glance like, dude, that almost landed on my knee. Like, <laughs> Oh, my can God. You, can you imagine yeah. how bad that would have been? It wasn't good. <laughs> oh. What are you doing? <laughs> what 
Oh, uh, man. Jake, I'd like to have your take on Bryce Perkins. I like Bryce Perkins. Uh, I think he's exactly what you want as a prototypical uh, developmental quarterback um, because he's got today's what you want in mobility. Um, But he also can use his mobility to make plays with it. See, a lot of times quarterbacks struggle throwing on the run. I actually like his ability uh, when he's throwing on the run. Um, which is something not even Lamar Jackson really does well. So that's good. But really, he's just got to get more reps. It's it's incredibly difficult for him at this point in time because he's just not getting enough reps. When you're only playing, you know, every August, it's just not enough, essentially. And, And so, you know, obviously you don't want him playing over Stafford. And you don't want him in for Stafford because that means there's probably an injury. But, I mean, you know, you can only gauge so much essentially out of a guy that's only playing every August. So he's uh, he's got tools, and he wouldn't be around if the Rams didn't see something in him. Now, will he be the next starting quarterback after Stafford? Probably not. But he could be the next backup. He could take over for Wolford after this year. Yeah. That's one thing about playing quarterback. You you have a little longevity too. You can play that position. Yeah, and you know when you have a guy, you have a guy like Stafford for five years. I'll tell you right now, every quarterback that isn't a starter is going to be dying to come to the Rams because they get to play with Sean McVay, they get to be in LA, they get to be a part of what is the closest thing to the next dynasty. We'll see what happens. Uh, and on top of that. Stafford is going to be somewhat of a target because if you think about it, this five-year deal, yeah, we hope he doesn't get hurt. But this five-year mm-hmm. deal, I mean, he's getting up there in age. Yeah, it's always going to be a risk. And at that point, you have all those weapons. It's like maybe you're looking at yourself and like maybe I'm the Kurt Warner to Trent Green. You know? So it's it, at least maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. But, I mean, after Wolford you know, is gone after this year. Cause I can't imagine they bring him back. He's going to be, I think 28. Um, I think this is going to be wide open for the taking for the backup role. And I think it's really going to challenge Perkins because every non store, every non-starter in the league is going to want that backup role period. Yeah. He'd be a great change of pace though. Uh, if Stafford had to go out for a quarter or something, bring in a guy like Perkins. Cause, uh, they just wouldn't use him the way you and I would want to use him. They, would, they, would, they wouldn't have the confidence in him to run the offense that they want to run if he was in. They would probably run a very vanilla offense and probably try to get through it until Stafford was ready to go. Yeah, you can't just change the offense when a, if, a, if a guy like that comes in. Um, like, like for, I think a good example, a comp on that is Trey Lance coming in for, I think he played 10 quarters last year and for Garoppolo and you know, they didn't have a chance to install plays for Lance at all. And they weren't going to change the offense just because their, you know, backup was in. So that's, you know, you're, you're just not going to get as much as we'd love to see that whole change of pace. I just don't think they can do the install, um, that quickly. Uh, you know, the other thing no. about Wolford, though, 
the other thing about Wolford, though, is um, that they love him uh, not only because, you know, probably a competent backup, as we saw, you know, in, in the year before last, but also he's he's apparently as good as a, as good as it gets at running the the scout team, um, running the offense of the uh, team that they're playing this week against to, for our defense to practice against. Apparently, he's like an extraordinarily fast study in that regard. And that's very valuable for the defense. You can tell yeah. McVay likes Warford. You can tell. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he, you want to be brutally honest, John Wolford was, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back that signaled to Sean McVay, who had it in his idea, he had it in his mind, Jared Goff was not enough. And then when he put Wolford in, because Goff got hurt, that is really oh. what facilitated the move to Stafford. Really? Hmm. Yes. Interesting. Because that moment, Sean McVay realized, I can't do it with Jared Goff. He realized that he he enjoyed Wolford's mobility and mm-hmm. his confidence way more. Goff, towards the end of his years with the Rams, that was not the same confidence. Nope. It was. It's honestly one of the saddest stories because, you know, everything was paved for Goff. He's the California kid. Goes number one overall after having a one in eleven season at Cal. He turns them into a formidable foe to you know teams in the Pac-12. Then he goes to the Rams. You know, has all the you know hard knocks BS against him. Like people, you know, saying he's dumb. Sits there. Finally gets a chance to start in front of his home. You know, crowd. Uh, you know, against the Dolphins, loses that game, then goes on to lose every game after that, goes 0-7, comes back the next year, goes 11-5 after all the rumors about the Rams moving on from him after their, after one year and after giving up all that for him. And then the year after he goes to the playoffs, he goes to the Super Bowl. He has one of the he's part of one of the greatest games of all time, the fifty four fifty one outburst against the Chiefs. Yeah. And then after, after the Super Bowl, it's like he's not the same. And no. I mean, let's be honest here, he wasn't the same after the Kansas City game in two thousand eighteen. I think he showed more confidence last year than he did the last I year. I definitely think he did. I saw moments last year with Goff that I hadn't seen since 2018. Yeah. Now, did that show up in the air yards? Did that show up in the stats? Maybe not, but on film, I mean, he he looked way more confident than he did in 2019 and 2020. I will say 2020, his last game with the Rams against the Packers, he played well enough to win, first off. And second, um, I thought he looked pretty. Com- I thought he looked pretty comfortable in a hostile environment and a horrible, you know, weather condition. I think it was good for Goff to get out of town. I really do for him. It was a lot of his lack of confidence. I think was tied to the demise of Gurley, though. I think those things are pretty mm-hmm. linearly, uh, if that's a word, uh, con- connected. I mean- Definitely makes sense good, because good even point. you go back the Chiefs game. Like I said, after the Chiefs, he didn't look the same. Well, guess what happened in the Chiefs game? Dorian O'Daniel shoved Todd Gurley on the sideline, digged up his knee. 
So after that, Todd Gurley, he didn't really get an opportunity to play. You know, I mean, he did. He didn't play a ton. But they had him on a pitch count after that. He was never the same. He was literally never the same after that. You know, you got to give Goff some credit um, that he was uh, his, the passing game was so reliant on the play action and just because of the threat of Gurley and the defensive line had to and the linebackers had to respect that, um, as with any good play action game. But it's also harder to pass in a play action game. The quarterback, he turns his head. Um, the defense has a, the secondary has a chance to shift around, do different things. You have one read before the snap and another read after the after the play action. And um, Goff was actually very good at that. He had, you know, he had good height when he was confident. He had poise. Uh, he was very good at doing those uh, second, you know, the, going through the reads very quickly after a play action, which was much more difficult than, um, you know, than these open sets. And so uh, give him some credit there. I agree. And that's a really nice way of breaking that down. You know, you almost kind of forget and you take it for granted. Like, oh, just play action. You know, he's really good at it. But, yeah, it, it honestly, I think that's one of the frustrating things about Jared Goff is play action's not easy to pull off all the time. And so when you see him locking down one read and not going through and progressing, it's almost kind of counterintuitive to what he does as a play action passer. Because like you said, the coverage can shift in that, you know, that split second where you're not looking. I don't think he was a, a confident quarterback in the pocket. You know, the classic quarterback. I think he had to he was so used to having Gurley in that the running offense. He he didn't have to be the guy. You know. Well the weird thing is Jared Goff threw some of the best games I've ever seen a quarterback. <laughs> I agree. And I don't I, I mean, never hated Goff. I just you know, he's not. Yeah, staff. that Vikings game on Thursday Night Football was like throwing a perfect game in in baseball. Yeah, let's you know. You, so we we talked about the girly factor. So like, what changed, right? So the girly factor caught on to McVay's jet sweeps and fake jet sweeps and things like that. Defenses adjust in the league. There's smart guys over there too, but the the killer blow was the. Um, the killer blow was the 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 uh, uh, Fangio Bears game. Um, oh yeah, the and blueprint. when when Fangio completely shut him shut down the offense um, using the too high shell, the light box too high shell, and McVay. You know, I wouldn't blame. I'm not blaming this on Goff at all. This is 100 percent on McVay. Had no answer for it whatsoever, and that's Belichick then studied that film and used that that defense to a T in the uh, in the Super Bowl and held the Rams to three points, and that set off a, a you know a, uh, a string of events that led to that led to McVay seeking out Staley, um, uh, you know a disciple of that defense, and um, and the whole thing. And here we are. And now there's actually a coaching tree that um, off of that Fangio line uh, that's starting to take place. Well, well, I didn't for very long, for, for many years. So 
yeah, that I think so. Really, the, you get the Gurley effect, and you get the you get the Fangio effect, and um, McVeigh really had to go back to the drawing board, and he did. He did. Yeah, he, you, he came you up had... with a, another solution. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I think that was the issue with Goff, though, is while he was like, "I have to get up to here," we have to get to this, you know, this level. We have to move up a a level in this game. I don't think Jared was able to do that, which is part of Jared why I think it works so well with Detroit. I don't think Jared could have thrown the passes that Stafford threw the last three games of the season. Oh, absolutely no way. not. No. Stafford, Stafford's, is, he's one of the best arms I have ever seen. I'm not, not just now, ever, as far as throwing the ball. And it's not just the arm, the arm strength and, and the accuracy. It's the, he's throwing the ball well before, um, Goff used to throw it in terms of where the guys were making their uh, their cuts and things like that. Goff used to throw guys open a little, you know, he wouldn't throw guys open, he'd throw it to an open guy. And Stafford's connecting with Cup is really what led to Cup's, you know, phenomenal season. Those guys are, are running plays where they don't even know which way Cup's going to break. Um and before at the snap, you know, when he when he leaves the line of scrimmage and they're both reading the same defender inside, outside and making the throw. Um, that's why he looked like he had some bad throws um, during the year. It's like, hmm, that was weird. It's just he's off read with the with the uh, receiver, with the hot receiver. And uh, so, yeah, it's just it's a it's it's not about I mean, yes, it is about strength and accuracy, but it's also it's more so, in my opinion, about the um, intellect of the game. Yeah, I, I think you, you definitely hit the nail on the head, uh, Rams beat. Now, um, I'm going to call it, uh, but let me uh, know if you guys have any final thoughts, questions, anything like that before we head on out of here. But it's been another uh, a fun live stream. I can't wait until we get more people in here. I yeah. think this will really pop. Yeah, for sure. Jake, how long? What's your uh, uh, your your plan on running these things a couple of nights a week through the season, or what's your? Do you have a game plan yet? Yeah, um, during the season, you know, we're trying to do you know two of this and and one of the MCU Edge. So if you like Marvel Cinematic Universe, that's every Monday. Um, I might move that because obviously the season. So probably move it to Monday. So Rams edge will be Monday and then we'll do, we'll do a post game and a pregame. So probably, I want to say Monday and Monday and Friday, maybe, maybe Monday and Saturday actually. Um, and then, you know, of course I have downtown Rams and of course all my live streams. So, uh, my, my YouTube. So, I mean, plenty of Rams content coming out of me. They don't, don't you worry about Ricky. I know you're, you're sitting there wanting, uh, content all the time. Uh, you're going to be, you're got too much content uh, this, <laughs> this season. <laughs> cool. Well, hey, thanks a lot, Jake. Appreciate it. That was good. Great conversation. Yeah, always, care, always fun talking with you. You guys take care, and uh, yeah. for everyone listening, you know, really appreciate you listening. You can follow me at JK Bogan. Uh, you can subscribe to the channel or subscribe to the show. 
uh, pretty much wherever you get podcasts. It's on all podcast platforms. And be sure to follow and subscribe to this over on the Call-In app exclusively on Call-In. For next time, I'm Jake Ellenbogen, and this has been Ram's Edge, episode 23. You guys take care, and I'll see you all very soon.